Well, my name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. It's so good to be with you this morning. Welcome to the Gathering Church. If it's your first time joining us, man, we're just so honored that you're here. I hope that somebody made you feel wanted and welcomed and seen this morning. I need you to know that the Gathering Church is not just a church where you can come and watch. It is a family where you can be a part of. It, it, it is people who will come around you and help move you closer to who God has called you to be. In fact, we're fixated on taking a simple spiritual pathway here. Next steps, that we might know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, and make a difference. I love this song. In fact, this is my favorite worship song. And um, I'm not going to keep talking about it. Josh has just explained it very well. But I was just talking to somebody that I care about deeply who's not in a relationship with Jesus. And he's got a lot of stuff going on uh, that is not spiritual or doesn't feel spiritual. Just jobs and, and, and that kind of thing, that big change is coming. And, I, and I'm talking to him about it, and he's stressed and he's hurting. And I was looking in his eyes, and I could feel his hurt. And I could feel his wondering, and I could feel his question, and I could feel his, his just desire for the peace that every single person on this earth is searching for and that only exists in Jesus. And I love this song because it reminds me that there is only one foundation, that there is one who is worthy. He's just worthy of everything. We're in this series right now. We're talking about money. Today we're going to talk about practical things about money. And the reason we're talking about things like that is because we need to make sure that every single area of our life is built on a foundation of Christ every area. I need you to know if you're in here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus yet, I need you to know. I need you to know because I've, I've been there where I've been searching and asking questions and hurting and wondering if there was ever any healing for this pain. I need you to know that it is on this foundation that there is no one like him, that he's holy, that he's worthy of all of our praise, that when we give him every part of ourselves, when you lay down everything that you are at his feet, and you say, God, you are worthy. You get all of me. You are holy. There is no one like you. I will build my life on this foundation because I have tried every other foundation. And I, what I've discovered is there is no foundation that will hold you. There is no foundation that will stand up to the storms of this life, to the pain of this life. There is only one. There is only one that can stand up to it, and it is Jesus and it is, it is the peace that he offers. It is the purpose that he offers. I just need you to know this morning that there is only one pathway that will lead you to the satisfaction you are searching for because there is only one person in this universe who knows you like he knows you because he made you and he's called you and he sees your hurt and he sees your pain and he just cannot wait to offer you freedom from it. I needed to tell you, somebody needed to hear that this morning, or I needed to say it one way or the other. Maybe I needed it. Um, I've got an announcement now, and it's a good one. 
uh, we're so, so passionate about getting you in your purpose. We want you to discover your purpose because we believe God created you with one and that it's an essential part of your life. That the reason that many of us are out trying to find our place and meaning and all of that and trying to put all of that, the, 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 the weight of purpose on everything around us is because God made you with an assignment to do. He's given you gifts and dreams and desires and passions because in front of you is the assignment he's created for you. At the gathering, we want to come alongside you as you discover that purpose. Growth track is the way we accomplish that. Now, we don't think growth track is going to give you the meaning of life, that you go to this class and you walk away fully enlightened. We think it's a glimpse, that it's a stepping off point. It's a, it's a, it's a beginning step to learn why you're here and what you're called to do. What we are always trying to do here is make things easier for you and remove excuses so that you can do what God's calling you to do. So we're changing growth track a little bit to that means. Starting next week, growth track will no longer be four steps, it's gonna be two. It's a lot of the same content. We're gonna be doing the most important parts of growth track, but I just need it to be easier for you to get there. I need to take away some excuses. We want to get every person through the growth track on the dream team and in the church. We want you to be a part of what God is doing here. We don't want you to watch. We want you to know that the church isn't about John Mark and Josh and Kelly. and It's not about the people you see on the stage. It's about every single one of us working together to do what God's called us to do. And so growth track is, is, is two weeks now. And you're going to have growth track step one the first week of the month. And then on the third week of the month, we're running it twice a month. So one and two, and then one and two. So there's twice as many opportunities to go. And it's going to be at 11 a.m. during this service, during second service, right out back there. You'll be able to go to growth track during the time you would normally go to service. Go to first service and wake up a little bit earlier. You can do it. I promise you. It's a Sunday. It's a beautiful morning to be out on the road. No one's there. And then go to second service growth track right outside. And so that's the big announcement this morning. Uh, we're going to be uh, starting a new series next week that I also want to let you know about called uh, Love Like Jesus. We've been in a practical series this, this time around, and I always like to follow a practical series with something that just charges us up spiritually. And so next week, we're going to do Love Like Jesus leading into Easter, and then one called I Want to Believe But. These are also great opportunities for you to reach out to the friends that you have in your life who do not yet know Jesus and invite them to the gathering church. Because let me tell you, I'm going to be doing everything I can for the next six weeks to help them understand that the, the, the missing piece in their life is a relationship with Jesus. Get them here and you, you do what only you can do, which is invite your friends and I'll do what I do and just tell them about Jesus as hard and as passionately as I can. And so that's coming. Let me pray for us and we'll get into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that there is no one like you, God, that there is nothing in this world that brings us the peace and the joy and the satisfaction like pursuing you, God, that relationship with you fulfills every part of my creation. Father, I thank you for being the foundation that I need, Lord, that when life gets hard, you're there, that, that nothing can take you away from me, that, Father, you show up for me, that you comfort me, God, that you're with me. We love you. We worship you this morning as we talk about money, God. Soften our hearts to hear your wisdom, God. And, and Father, that we might just move forward in every area of our life, including this one. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, you got a sermon before the sermon. People that just see me just now starting are getting worried. 
I'll try to shorten it down a little bit for you. I can't make any promises. I hope you don't have lunch reservations. Let's get going. We're talking about, my, I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. Also, uh, there is an unwritten rule in all churches that you never sit on the front row. This is an important rule because you don't want to risk getting too close to the pastor because everybody knows pastors spit when they talk. And this is why nobody sits on the front row, but I want to let you know that for the next four weeks, you have a great opportunity if you've ever wondered about it, because you may see this gaping hole in the stage in front of me. This is an orchestra pit, uh, because beginning next week, we'll be launching the new, brand new Gathering Church Orchestra. They're going to play the whole time, and so during the message, they'll follow me as I talk. They'll swell, and the drums will get going when I'm getting into an important point, and it's going to be Really, it's going to be awesome. We're excited about it. If you are a, an orchestral instrument player and you'd like to be a part of that, you can email rnight at gatherashville.org. Uh, send Robert a video of you playing your instrument, and he'll, he'll get you on the team as quick. I'm kidding. I'm very much kidding. This is for, we're, we're in a high school, and this is for their production. But please do feel free to send Robert a video of you playing an instrument. He would really very much enjoy that. In the first service, he sat on that front row, and I got to watch him squirm while I said all of that, and it was a lot more fun. And so um, let, me, let me get into it. We're talking about money this morning. And so uh, last week, we talked about the spiritual aspect behind the, the physical aspect. See, I believe that too often, when it comes to things like money, we only see what is in the natural, uh, the way that we spend it, the way that we manage it, and how it affects us in the natural. I think what we need to learn as followers of Jesus is that every single thing in our lives has both a spiritual aspect and a natural aspect. Last week, we talked about the spiritual aspect, and, and we've titled this series, Give, save, spend, because we believe that when it comes to money, it should always go in that order. You should give first. God gets the first of everything, of everything. He always wants your first. He wants the first part of your day, the first part of your month, your year. He wants the first of your children. Just get rid of that one. Give it to God. And then he wants the first part of your finances. This, the, the, and, and, and when we, we put God first in our finances and in every other area of our life, uh, it resets our hearts. It helps us understand that what this is is not ours, it's his. And that's important for money because with money, we have a real tendency uh, to make it the first part of our lives, to give it the position of priority. We pursue it faster and harder than anything else. We pursue uh, job, money, security, comfort over, over relationship often. We pursue money over uh, anything else. We, we believe that it is this sacred thing that we have to protect and watch over and pursue. And so when we make sure that we give first, that we put God in that first position of our lives, it takes the spiritual aspect and resets it for us so that we're not overvaluing money. Now, I want to talk this morning about what we do next. After, after we give and we stop looking at money uh, as this thing that we need and that, that can consume all of our thoughts and can consume all of our energy and can consume all of our time. When we start to give first and, it, and, it, and God gets that position, well, now we've got to make sure that the way that we're living and the way that we're managing and the way that we're stewarding our money keeps God in that first position. 
See, I believe that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, He doesn't just want one part of our lives. He's not just looking for the spiritual part of your lives. He doesn't just want the quiet time and church on Sundays. I think what He's asking for is every part of us, that He wants every part of your life, including your finances. And so it's important for us to talk about this area so that we can make sure we're following some best practices, some basic wisdom to make sure that even in the area of our finances that we are submitted to God. Last week I told you a story about how bad I was with money. I, I, I thought it would, it would help you to, to understand that this is something I've had to learn that, I've, that does not come natural to me, that I've had to put a lot of energy into correcting in my life. I, uh, if you weren't here and it's your first week joining us, the basics of it are um, anything dumb you can do with money. That's what I was doing. Uh, I, I basically... Lived on a credit card and spent about twice as much money as I was earning. Uh, one day, those credit cards stopped working, and my bills went from twenty-five dollars a month to two hundred and fifty dollars a month. And suddenly, I had more bills than money. In fact, I'll lay out my budget for you so you can understand this. Uh, I rented an apartment, a waterfront apartment, it was beautiful for eight hundred dollars a month. That was pretty high for two thousand seven, but I figured I could swing it. I had seven hundred dollars per month in credit card debt. Uh, I had $140 per month in a car payment. I had $100 a month in a cell phone bill, and I made $1,800 per month. And so if you're good at math, what you've just added up is to realize I had about less than 100 bucks for gas, groceries, and movie tickets at the end of the month. So here's what I would do. Uh, this is what not to do. I had a great plan on how to manage this that worked for me for a while. Uh, on payday, uh, as soon as I could, I would go straight to an ATM and take out as much cash as possible. And then whatever was left in the bank account would get auto-drafted by the debt collectors. Uh, I always paid my rent because I, didn't, I knew I needed a place to live, and I always paid my car payment, but everything else was kind of up for grabs. As a result, every time my phone rang, it was debt collectors. And it rang nonstop. I couldn't not think about it. In fact, what really helped there, though, was when my phone stopped ringing because I had stopped paying my cell phone bill. And so that's a good tip if you've got that problem. Um, what I realized was I had to turn it around. That This was no way to live. I was giving my life to Jesus and in a new relationship with Him. And I knew that this area was the most important area of my life at that time. And so something had to change. And so I did uh, did not have a lot of options. So what I did was move out of my apartment and into my truck. I picked some of those credit cards that I had and started paying them off one at a time, but it wasn't enough. I still had no idea how to manage my money. I was starting to get rid of some of this debt, but the problem was I didn't really know how to keep from, from that happening again. I didn't know the best way to avoid that scenario coming back. So one day I did the unthinkable. I called my dad and asked for help. Now, I don't like to ask for help for any reason. If I'm trying to figure something out like a, a jar that's particularly weird, it's got a weird seal on it and it's hard to open, and my wife offers like a advice on it, I snap at her every time. I know I shouldn't, but if she tries to help me, I'm like, don't help me. I want to figure this out on my own. This is my personality. Asking my dad for help was very difficult. 
Now, my dad would have helped me out of the mess I was in at any time if I would have asked. But instead of asking, I decided to spend six months living out of my car. My dad tried to teach me good stewardship and good money management when I was growing up, but I never listened. And so now I was stuck. So I went home to Charleston and we sat down and I asked him for help. And he said, okay, let me see your bank statements and your bills. And I said, well, I don't know if I need help that bad. I got to go. And so that, and, and no, I, I said, oh man, this is terrible. It's awkward. So I laid down all my bank statements and my bills on the table one day. And he looked at them and he just kind of shook his head. And he said, what a mess. Let me help. You know, I love this story because it, it's a, such a good picture of what our father does for us, of who God is. We make this huge mess out of our lives, these, these things that we just can't dig ourselves out of, these things that are so hard for us to, to find the positive in, and we lay it at the feet of Jesus, and God just shakes his head at us, and he says, you've made a mess here, but I, I want to I help. I can get you out of this. That's who God is, and that's what my dad did for me, and so we, we made a plan together, or he made a plan and told me I had to follow it. And, and developed a budget and, and learned some financial wisdom and said some things that I'll never forget. And here's what I learned throughout that, less, that season. It didn't really matter what I was making financially. I had been living with a mindset of scarcity. And God had called me to live and equipped me to live in abundance. Uh, so this morning, I want to take a look at a few ways that we live in scarcity and I want to show you how we can change that to living in abundance. Uh, here's a few things that we discover when we live in scarcity. First, we make a living wage, but we can't afford to live. We make a living wage, but we can't afford to live. What I think is true about humanity is it does not matter how much money you make, you can still find a way to be broke. I was in the Coast Guard, and we all made the same amount of money across the board. There was a little bit of differences based on your time in and things like that, but it was all on the internet if you were curious about what your friend next to you made. It's not that way in the civilian world. You're a little bit more protective about uh, what we make in, in, in the workplace. We get a little bit uncomfortable if one of our coworkers sees a pay stub. It's not that way in the military. It's just kind of all out there. Well, occasionally, I'd, I'd want to go do something in a port call, like go on a scuba diving trip, and I'd try to get my buddies all together to go, and always, there'd be a few guys who would say, I can't, man, I'm absolutely broke. And I'd be like, but I just looked at the internet, and it said that you make more than I do. How come you're broke? See, the problem is, it doesn't matter how much we make, we always find ways to spend it. I think a lot of times, what happens is, uh, we manage to find out how to be broke, no matter how many raises we get, no matter how big the tax return was, no matter what, at the end of the day, we just don't have money left over, which means that we find out what the second thing means, and that is we live paycheck to paycheck. A lot of times when we're living with this scarcity mindset, we get in this place where we live paycheck to paycheck. Now, there's a couple different meanings for that, so let me define it for you. Uh, you run out of milk, there's four days left to payday, and so you just say, we'll get milk in four days. Or you, you, you run out of uh, gas for your car, and there's a week left for payday, and you rearrange your entire life based on when payday is going to hit. Paycheck to paycheck, it means you've got no margin. It means you're, you're absolutely at the limit. What you make is what you spend. 
But then, inevitably, there's that one pay period where there's three weeks instead of two, and now you've got to live beyond what you make. You've got to start getting yourself in a little bit of debt just to get by because paycheck to paycheck always leads to a place where we're not quite making it. When that happens, we find that we can't afford to be generous. Last week, we talked all about how generosity is one of these keys. It's a key to unlocking this thing inside of us that that is keeping us from living in financial freedom. Generosity is one of those spiritual keys that resets the way we think about money, that we should be using our money uh, to serve the purpose God's given us rather than us serving money ourselves. But maybe you sat here during that message last week and you thought, I can't afford to be generous. You, you know, we talked about the tithe and we talk about giving that first 10% to God and you just think, I don't even have 10% left over for me. Or maybe it's a matter of you go out to eat and that check comes and you realize you forgot to calculate the tip when you were adding up in your head if you could afford to go out to eat today. And so you fold that $1 bill a whole bunch of times and hope they don't pick it up until after you are out of there, whatever it is. Maybe we can't afford to be generous because of our scarcity habits. Number four is we lack accountability. I think when we live with a mindset of scarcity around money, we tend to lack accountability because there's a flip side to this coin. For some, poor financial stewardship doesn't come from not having money. It happens when we're financially comfortable. When we know that every time we swipe that debit card at the store, it's going to say approved, sometimes we decide that we don't need the accountability anymore. We don't need to watch where the money's going anymore because we know that there's enough. But what this can lead to, just like any lack of accountability can lead to poor stewardship. If you don't have accountability over your character and your moral life, then you are, you are at risk for moral failing. I think if we don't have accountability over our finances that we put ourselves at a risk for poor financial stewardship. Too many of us are living in this kind of scarcity, and I believe we've been called to something better. And this is both a spiritual problem and a practical problem. There's a spiritual side to living in scarcity. Even after we've learned to give, sometimes we still have this spiritual lock over our hearts and over what we think we've, we can do with what we've got. The disciples had this problem. There's a story in Scripture uh, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and that's like the title in the Bible, but He actually fed like probably closer to 10,000 people because they only counted the men in those days. And Jesus has been teaching all day long to these guys out on this hillside and it's it's starting to get close to dinner time and the people are getting hungry and the disciples are like we've got to get these people out of here they're starting to get hungry and we don't know what we're going to do with 10,000 hangry people get them off this mountain Jesus but Jesus replied they don't have to go away you give them something to eat and the disciples say we have here only five loaves and two fish We've only got this, Jesus. This is all I've got. What do you expect me to do with it? You're calling me to do things that I can't do with what I physically have. I'm looking at it, and I know what I can do with this. Here's the thing. At this point in their ministry, in their lives, the disciples have been with Jesus for some pretty amazing miracles. They've seen him do amazing things. Some of them were there when he took a bunch of vats of water and turned it into wine for a wedding party. I mean, these guys have seen Jesus provide from nothing before, and yet... 
This is still the mentality they take when they're looking at this bread and fish. And I think we're the same. See, I think a lot of times what happens in our lives is we've seen God absolutely provide miracles for us. I love that song we sang this morning, Do It Again. But God, God, we've seen God move mountains in our lives before. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, I know that there's been a moment where he has absolutely rescued you when you were beyond it. And we believe he can do it again, or we say we do, but then when it comes to an area of sensitivity, like our money, or like provision, we just think, this is where I'm at, this is what I have, and God, I don't know how you're calling me to give any of it away when I barely have enough for me. The disciples said, we only have two loaves of bread, or five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. God can provide in abundance where we see only scarcity. We need to make a commitment this morning to submit our finances to God and believe that He sees more than we see. We need to believe that when He looks at what we have financially, that He is able to see what we are not able to see. And that if we are obedient and good stewards, and we use the wisdom that He's given us through Scripture, the return would be greater than what we can do on our own. I want to give you some really practical next steps to follow to manage your money well. The Bible calls it good stewardship, and it shows up over and over and over again throughout Scripture. I believe this is the way that we can live uh, that, that means, brings us even that much closer to the freedom we've been called to live in. The first thing is this. Make a budget and live by it. Have a budget and live by it. Budget A budget. A budget is one of those things uh, that, that is a sensitive topic for people. We get a little bit sensitive around the discussion of a budget. We, we don't want people thinking about our budget or telling us how to budget or, or talking about the budget. But I believe this is good biblical wisdom. Not necessarily biblical mandate, so you can keep that in mind. But I do believe that choosing to live this way and budgeting well always leads to good stewardship and the peace that comes from financial freedom. We need to make a budget. Make a budget on paper, on purpose, every month. Because we can't steward what we don't know we have. And if we don't track it, we don't know if we have it. If you make a living wage, but you can't afford to live, your next step is to sit down and write out every expense you have down to the last penny. To to print out the last three months of bank statements and write down every dollar. Jesus talks about this idea, uh, making a budget as a metaphor for something else. He's teaching a life lesson. But since he's using this money principle to apply to this life principle, we can assume the money principle applies as well. It says in Luke 14, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if there is enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build what he wasn't able to finish. Don't begin to build what you are not able to finish. 
And how do we know if we'll be able to finish it? We make a budget. We make a plan. It's just simple wisdom. We have to know how much we have and where it's going in order to know if we can afford it. We can't do it without a budget. So I would encourage you to sit down with your bank statement and write it all out. Figure out how much money you have and make a plan for the wisest way to spend it. If you're not overspending right now, then make a budget based on what you normally spend. Then just track it and watch it and know where it is. And if you find out, you make the budget and you think, oh no, we spent $1,200 on groceries for two people last month, then it might be time to bring it in a little bit, to, to think about how I can take some of this and apply it to an area of greater impact. Make a budget and live by it. I use an app for this. It's called Every Dollar. Every Dollar. It's free. Uh, you can get a paid version that tracks it for you. I like to put it in myself, and it's easy to use. I'm just telling you, whatever works for you, do it. If you've never done this before, and you are in a season of great financial stress right now, there is a resource for you. It's called Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey uh, is a money master. He is a guru of financial wisdom. He's a follower of Jesus and teaches biblical principles. And uh, he's got a podcast. If, if, you, if you've never heard it, he's got a radio show. He's got books. Uh, but Financial Peace University is a comprehensive 12-week course that will help you get life back on track. I've done it before, and it changed my life. He's going to talk a lot about eating rice and beans but I'm telling you right now, it'll help you get there. We have a class. Uh, we're partnered with Seacoast Church. That's one of our sister churches. And Seacoast Church is starting a class over on Sweeten Creek Road next week. If you would like information about it, go to our information center after service, and we'll help you get signed up. Make a budget and live by it. Second thing is this. Create margin. 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 The Bible talks a lot about margin and how important it is for us to have margin in our lives. Now, you got to create margin while you're writing a budget. So that's step one. But as you're budgeting, I think we need margin uh, in everything all the time. In the book of law, Leviticus, God commands the Hebrew people to create a margin for generosity. He says in Leviticus 23, 22, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigners residing among you. I am the Lord your God. In other words, he's talking to these people and he says, when you have a farm and when, you're, when you've got this field and it represents your income and your livelihood, make sure that as you plant it, you leave margin so you can be generous with it. Margin for generosity. Paul updates the same idea to percentage giving in 1 Corinthians 16 too. He says, on the first day of each week, Every one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Create margin in your budget so you will be able to give when need arises or so that you would be able to spend when need arises. God says margin is so important that we need it in our regular lives. The Sabbath is about creating margin. The Bible tells us to rest. In the, in the Old Testament, they said rest on the seventh day. In the New Testament, believers switched it to the first day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Either way, the Bible's clear that we need a day of margin. If your day is completely packed from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, later than you should, and it's all full of things you have to do, not things you want to do, and you do it seven days a week without margin, you will die. 
It's just the way, I'm sorry. It's just, this is the, that's the outcome. You guys are not laughing or responding. I can't see you because I'm standing further back, and it just, it's really nerve-wracking for me up here. I don't think you'll really die, but I do think you'll get close. You'll definitely grow more gray hairs than you want, and if your hair is white already, you know what comes next, okay? It falls out. That's what comes next, and so we've got to create, and if you're already, I shouldn't, but if you already, if it already fell out, then I think what's next is you will die, so make sure that you have margin, you got to have, <laughs> you've got to, my mom is in the audience covering her face. I can't see that. you got to have margin. Leave some space for rest. And we've got to do it in our finances as well. Because without margin in our finances, we live paycheck to paycheck or we waste the money that we could be saving or using for generosity to bless other people, to use our money to serve the purpose God's given us. If we don't have margin, then we are serving our money. I think that a good principle of wisdom for you to live by is to live on 80% or better. 80% or better. That's a lofty goal. I know for some of us, I know. But I believe 10% off the top should go to the church in the tithe. We return the tithe. The first, God wants the first of everything. Malachi 3.10 says, test me in this. Return the tithe and I'll open up the floodgates of blessing unto you. I believe God wants to bless us in a spiritual way, not a physical way, when we learn to give him the first of everything, the first of everything. That first 10% right off the top goes to him. And then I think we need to give ourselves a 10% margin for when milk runs out before payday or for when you want to budget for and start saving for that vacation or for when your neighbor's car breaks down and you feel compelled to help. You can say, no problem. I've got the margin for that. Or for when your car breaks down and nobody feels compelled to help. You can say, no problem. I've got the margin for that. We've got to give save and spend in that order, and margin is a key to everything. Now, believe me, I know it's not easy, but my wife and I believe in this so much. We spent several years working to get to the place financially where we could live like this, and it's worth it. We actually made it a priority to live on 75% of our income, which means sacrifice sometimes. It means driving a car with 100,000 miles on it instead of a car with 10,000 miles on it for us. It, mean, it means sometimes I've got to buy the Aldi brand of Oreos instead of the real thing with double stuff. But what that means for me is that I've got margin so that money isn't the only thing I'm thinking about. So that I don't have to stress about it. I don't have to be consumed by it. There's margin which creates space for me to breathe in my finances. Now, if you look at your budget and and you think, I can't get close to that, then it might be time to make some changes. A lot of times, housing is an area that hurts us, especially in Asheville. And a good rule of thumb is if your housing payment is greater than 30% of your income, it might be time to downsize or move to a neighborhood that's more affordable. If you've got a huge car payment but no margin, Maybe time to sell it and get that 2001 Subaru Forester you've always dreamed of. It's not very sexy, but it'll get the job done, A to B, and and you'll have the margin to fix it when it inevitably breaks. Maybe it means more rice and beans and less eating out. If you made 80% of what you currently live on, you would find a way to live on it. I would encourage you to find a way to live on it. 
Now, uh, maybe that means uh, you've got to make a plan to get there. It took Rael and I years to get there. It took us years to get there. We had to make a plan and work towards it incrementally. We had to get there. The very first thing we did was start to live on 90% immediately, right away. And then we had to work hard to build the margin in other areas of our lives. You may have to make a plan. You may not do this tomorrow, but I'm telling you, it's worth the hard work, the sacrifice, and the discipline required to get to that area of your plan. Now, maybe you're getting frustrated with me at this point in the sermon. can hear you rustling around in your seats out there wondering when I'll stop talking so much about your money. But maybe... We need to ask ourselves why we get so uncomfortable when somebody starts to talk about our wallets. Why do we get so uncomfortable when when people begin to address something so personal? Why do we make it so personal? Is it something personal or is it something spiritual? Am I making you uncomfortable or is the spirit of mammon making you uncomfortable? Last week we talked a lot about mammon. In the Bible, when Jesus talks about money, he actually uses mammon's name more than he uses the word money, especially in Luke chapter 16. Now, mammon was the Babylonian god of riches, who in Jesus, who was worshipped for hundreds of years in the Middle East. And in Jesus' time, just outside of Jerusalem, there was a temple to mammon with great marble columns and gilded everything, gold everywhere. And people would go there and worship mammon, who would have eventually, they hoped, make them rich. And Jesus spoke of mammon often to help us understand there was a spirit who did not want us to think wisely about our money. See, mammon wants your money to be set apart for him, holy for him, something that controls you, that keeps you away from God, that keeps you from fulfilling the purpose he's called you to, keeps you from the peace that he wants to give you, keeps you from the freedom that he wants to offer you, mammon. And I think the reason we get so touchy about our money when when somebody wants to help us or when people ask us questions or anytime it comes up as a subject, the reason we get so touchy about it is because there is a spiritual force leading us to that place. See, I think God wants us to talk about our money. I think he wants us to get more comfortable with it. I think he wants us to have accountability around our money that we're not comfortable with having. My accountability partner, he texts me and I send him pictures of my bank statements twice every month. I believe in full accountability. I believe it's important. I believe it's how we grow. And mammon wants us to keep it set apart and holy For him. So let me encourage you right now at this point in the message address the spiritual matter. Address the spiritual matter. Submit every part of your life to God, not just the spiritual, but also the physical, like money. Okay, let's keep going. The third thing is this to live in abundance and not in scarcity, we need to spend less than we make. Spend less than we make. Now, this is a really brand new idea. This is something none of us have ever thought. I'm just kidding. We know this is obvious, right? We should spend less money than we make. It's simple stewardship. However, we live in a country where this is not normal. Debt is what's normal. What's normal is if I want something, I'll buy it now and I'll pay it off later. So I want to talk about a principle that my father tried deeply. And dad, I'm sorry I wrote this. I didn't know you were going to be here. It probably feels awkward. He's here if you want to ask him about any of this stuff. After the message, he's the expert. He tried so hard to teach me and my sisters this principle of delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. And it was such a hard one to learn. Delayed gratification. That's this. That means if I see a pair of shoes that I want 
and they're $50, and it's four days to payday, I'll just go ahead and put it on the card, and I'll pay it off when payday comes. That's instant gratification. Delayed gratification says, I want to buy this pair of shoes. They're $50. I do not have $50. I will wait until I have $50. Then I will buy the shoes. It's a tough concept for us to grasp because the culture that we live in says, if you want it, get it. If you want it, don't wait. Get it now. Why wait? Now is the time. This is the moment. There's plenty of options. You can get low interest rates. Why Why wait when you could get a low interest rate and borrow money to do it now? But Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And we are to have no master but Jesus. Now, there's some debt in life that is unavoidable. Things that I don't think there's good debt. I think there's bad debt and there's neutral debt. But there's some that you're going to, like a mortgage payment, you're going to have a mortgage. Try not to get in over your head on it. But there is some debt that we just do not need to live in. Credit card debt, personal loans, things that we didn't need but we wanted and we wanted it now. I think if we want to live in a way that brings us into abundance, that offers us financial freedom, we need to move away from this way of living. America has $712 billion in collective credit card debt. It's because we all crave and desire instant gratification. So we need to move away from it. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, that would have been great advice a couple years ago, too late, and you're already in all this bad debt like I used to be, there is a simple way to keep moving forward out of it. Step one, stop collecting debt. You need to stop that right now. Two is find the smallest one. Dave Ramsey calls this the snowball plan. You find the smallest credit card or debt or loan that you have. You pay it off uh, as quickly as you can. Put as much as you can towards paying it off. And as soon as that's paid off, roll it over. So all that you were putting towards that, put towards the next one. And then the next one. And then the next one until they're all gone. I did that. It took me four years. It took me four years to get rid of all of my debt. It may take some time, but you need to do it. Get out of debt. Get out of it so you can live in abundance. This is just basic wisdom because we want you to find freedom from financial scarcity and live in abundance. And I don't believe the secret to that is just more money. I believe we've got to do this the right way. Final thing, last thing this morning, is we need to lead with generosity. Let me just talk about this one more time. Because the way to make sure something doesn't have control over your life is to get comfortable with giving it away. Get comfortable with giving it away and you release the control that it is trying to assert over your life. Lead with generosity. Lead with it. Before I spend, I give first. Uh, I used to have this uh, habit, not habit, but just my practice was the way that I did the tithe in the first year of our marriage was I would set up my budget and, and get make sure I had the money that I needed and wanted and pay for the things I was going to pay for. And then whatever was at the bottom there, I put a portion of that into savings or paying off debt. And then a portion of that went to the church, whatever I could afford. And, uh, and I switched to that after studying scripture and being convicted and being mentored and pastored by some people. See, I believe God wants our first, not our droppings and our leftovers and our scraps. I believe he wants the best. In fact, in Scripture, beginning in the first stories of Genesis, all the way to the end, God's asking for the best of what you have. The best, the first, the first fruits, 
the, 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 the best calf out of the whole bunch. If you're a farmer, I don't know what that, no, you don't need to sacrifice a calf. Whatever it is, the very best and the first, he wants all of it. Not the droppings at the bottom. Lead with generosity. In order to stop being so discontent with what I have, I need to be grateful and understand that everything comes from God and I am only given what comes from His hand anyways. And the way I demonstrate that I understand that is by setting aside the money I will give away before setting aside the money I will keep. In Leviticus 27.30, he says, Put forward a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees. It belongs to the Lord and it's holy to the Lord. That word holy just means set apart and important. God desires the first of everything from you. Deuteronomy 14.23 says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in the first place in your life. We give God the first part of our finances. The very first part, not the leftovers, uh, because that's the place God belongs first. That's why he commands us to do it. When I do my budget, I begin by removing a percentage, 10% or more. Don't imagine that generosity is just something you get to when you have a lot of money. It's in accordance with your income. The idea is not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. There's a great story in Scripture where Jesus is sitting in the back of the temple watching people put money in the tithe box, just watching them. I love that story because church people would hate that today, right? I don't think he should be watching how much we put in there. I think that should be a secret. I don't think he should know it. I don't think. But Jesus is just sitting there. Imagine if, if you left today and I just stood by the box, tithe box just watching. <laughs> That's what Jesus did, so I'm just trying to lead like him. Jesus sat there watching what they were putting in, and all these wealthy guys were coming by and making this great big show out of dropping big amounts of money in there. But they, they were just putting in there just enough to get that tax deduction and no more, no real sacrifice. But this woman comes in who doesn't have a lot, in fact, doesn't have anything, two cents to her name. And she takes that two cents and she drops it in that plate and gives it to God. Trusts him. Just says, God, you're going to provide for me. I believe you're there. I trust you. Sacrifice. And Jesus is moved by her sacrifice. See, I would encourage you this morning to give in such a way that it moves Jesus. To give in such a way that you're not just trying to do, go through the motions or do something because it's what somebody said to do or because you think it'll look good or, or any other reason except that your Father has called you to it, that it's holy, that it's sacred to Him, and that you trust Him, that it doesn't matter how much bread and fish you have, that He can do the miracle, that it doesn't matter what you've got, He'll show up. That money doesn't get the first position in your life. P position, job, all of that. That's all secondary to pursuing the one who's created you. And we're not going to let money have his place. It's his. And so we sacrifice to him. Here's what I would leave you with in this series. God wants you to live satisfied and full. Don't let money get in the way of that. Money should be a part of how you serve others. It cannot be something you serve. In Luke chapter 12, 29 through 31, it says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. 
For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom. And these things will be added unto you. This wisdom that we have this morning, all of this, this series, the idea is this. We need to think about God more than we think about money. Take inventory. Sit back. Ask yourself, what am I in greater pursuit of? Comfort, stability, financial peace? Or am I in greater pursuit of the kingdom of God? Am I in greater pursuit of the purpose he's given me? Am I in greater pursuit of intimacy with him, of knowing him? Is he my first priority? Is he the one that I'm chasing after? Or is it something over here? Because it doesn't have to be money. Whatever it is that is taking more of your energy, more of your time, more of your thoughts, more of your attention than God, you need to put that after. Seek his kingdom first. Seek after him first. And all of this will be added unto you. He's the priority. He hasn't rescued us and saved us from death to get what's left over from us. He rescued us and saved us from death to show us the greatness, the immensity of this glorious way of life for his followers. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that that we might know the glorious way of life he's called us to. That he rescued us so that we could be one and united in relationship with him. Not so we could keep living the way we were living before. Things have to change. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But I'm telling you, it just matters to God. Give him the first of everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've called us to, God. That that you've called us to more, that you've called us, Father, to put you first, to pursue you and you only. So God, let us take the things in our life that, that require our attention, like money, and help us to manage and steward them in such a way that we use them to serve you, that we don't serve them. That, that, that they are just a tool, Father, to move us closer to you and to bless people with and to bless a city with, Lord, not something that we just think of for us. God, we just give it to you. We lay it at your feet this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.